Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sroden, joined by my good friend and author and philanthropist, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you? I'm doing great, man. It's, it's good to see you. It's been a minute. I know. Uh, you got back from a really long trip in the sweltering heat of Europe, and now you're back and it's time to get to work. I wanted to, I've been kind of examining, you know, there's two different kinds of parks that we've come in contact with. It's the institutional kind of investments and, and the mom and park pop owned parks. Sure. When you're doing two very, common, two, two very common elements. I want to start just, I want to break down like the difference between them when, sure. when you're dealing with an institutional investor versus a mom and pop, how, how, first of all, do they find you the same way? What does the intro look like? Sure. So well, let's, to find some of the parameters here from institutional to mom and pop, because there's a couple stages, you know, in between you could, you know, also categorize as, but, you know, I mean, typically, you know, you, you can say mom and pop and professional investor and or institution, you know, um, and some of the institutions are big, giant institutions, billions of dollars worth of, you know, of assets and things like that. And then, you know, there, there's plenty of, you know, uh, savvy private investors that this is a full-time gig for them and they, you know, very well might have a billion or more in assets under their control as well. Uh, but more oftentimes it's a few hundred million or, or tens of millions uh, worth of assets, but still definitely not a mom and pop type of uh, uh, situation. And so a mom and pop, you know, I would categorize more like how I was when I was a park owner. It, it was just me and my books and records were like, you know, handwritten on paper and maybe I'd get them into Excel at some point, you know, right before tax season. And, you know, I didn't have a, a management group helping me with, you know, much of anything. And I didn't have a repair team helping me with things. Uh, whereas the professional investor or institution would, would, they're not going out there and fixing pipes under a trailer. They're sending a crew. You know, they're not screening tenants. They have a management company taking care of that. Uh, and a mom and pop is probably doing most of that on themselves and handling a lot of it. I mean, I would spend, you know, hours and hours and hours a day at my trailer, you know, my trailers fixing them and walking new tenants through any vacant units I had and doing all that stuff. And, uh, you know, that that's a big separator, I think, between mom and pop and and private uh, professional investor and in, in institution. Some of the other caveats, you know, you know, could be about, um, you know, how many parks do they own? Maybe he owns two or three parks, but he's still a mom and pop. He's just spending his time between two or three parks, you know, whereas if, you know, if he's got five or 10 parks, he's probably not uh, your typical mom and pop, you know, but one or two or three parks, he still very well might be a mom and pop and using a mom and pop mentality. And institutional stuff compared to the mom and pop stuff tends to be more efficient and run better at the, you know, on the institutional side. Whereas the mom and pop, you know, we cut a few corners here and there and it, it you know, our repairs might actually look cheaper on paper, but we're probably doing the work on ourselves and not billing for it. And, you know, we might not always, you know, do it exactly the way it needed to be done, uh, but good enough to make it work again. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I, I remember the, the park that I owned, I went under one of the trailers to do some repairs and the previous owner who was mom and pop guy uh, who I bought it from, uh, you know, I guess he must've run out of copper piping or, or, or you know, tubing uh, under the trailer once because there was a section that was about, you know, three feet long that was just garden hose clamped down real tight on the water lines, <laughs> you know? And so, wow. you know, that, 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 that's a typical mom and pop repair. You know? <laughs> I don't think the institutions are doing something like that, you know? Um, so it's, it's the management, it's the efficiencies, it's the, you know, amount of time they physically spend. That's kind of a big differentiator, differentiator between the institutions and the, and the mom and pops. With, uh, with a mom and pop, you know, what is the, from a emotional standpoint, I'm sure it's a little, you're, you're more intimate with them. You're building oh, a yeah. relationship. It's much more, it's much more emotional. Like chances are, as I did with my tenants for better or worse, I knew every single one of them, you know, and I like, I knew tidbits about them that were not nothing I needed to know. It's just, you know, because <laughs> I've been there so long and they've been there so long and, you know, I'm a friendly guy and they just love to tell me everything going on. And, you know, whereas a professional management group, they're not dealing with that. So they don't have that same like, oh, worrying about, you know, Alice's mother with cancer and number two, because it's that's not really on their radar. But if you're there every day as a mom and pop over 10 years, you've probably grown to, to at least appreciate Alice and, you know, understand her situation, maybe even a better mother before, you know. And so when you go to sell you know, or, or, or thinking about selling or getting an evaluation done. A mom and pop is much more like, oof, this is, you know, don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know. And, you know, I want this to be, you know, I'm, I'm still on the fence what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm just thinking about selling and stuff like that. Whereas an institution almost will, will, will run, you know, quarterly or semi-quarterly, you know, reports on the valuations of their stuff, you know, and keeping up with where the market's at and understanding you know, just the transactional side of it and very little emotional aspect to it, you know. Um, although there's plenty of great that. owners out there that, that are institutional that obviously care about their tenants. They're just not as emotionally involved in, in you know, into the, the lives of all their tenants. Whereas a mom and pop probably is. He's probably said, okay, you know, you can be late on rent this month because I know your family's going through a hard time and you'll catch me up to tax season or something like that. You know, um, you know, things like that are going to be, you know, something that definitely separates the two, the emotional versus just the, the logical. But what about you? I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sure through the process you, you get more attached to the mom and pops and, and more intimate with the deal and the people, can you tell me a little bit about? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it's not. As you mean from the broker side and the and the, yeah. and the advising side? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, that and and like, how do those relationships? Because you know, I know the people that I've worked with with you that are mom and pop owners. They don't just do one deal with you; they do multiple deals with you, and it it usually doesn't stop at one. They own a couple, and I feel like that's kind of a an interesting segment. Is like the broker can become a big part of your business. Yeah. And in, in, in a lot of cases we are, a lot of times we're a one and done type of thing because that's all that seller has. And he's now fully exited and he's got, you know, no, you know, no, no appetite to buy more parks and he's moved on. Um, you know, but a lot of these guys in this like, you know, one to five, you know, type of parks in the same central area where they live a couple miles from them. You know, a lot of those guys will do a lot of deals with over and over again or, or exit them out of their parks once they've got them to their, you know, 
to a proper number for them, and then maybe they they rebuy in. But those start. That's when you start transitioning really from the mom and pop into the quasi professional investor type. You know, um, the from from a broker side of working with the the true mom and pop one park, and you know, not a lot of uh, sophistication in their operations and their their financials and their management and things like that. Uh, you know, it's it's a different it's a different conversation, and it's it's usually a longer conversation. And you know, typically it's going to take a you know months to get the guy to pull the trigger on on letting us market the property because they just they got a lot wrapped up into it. They got to talk with their families. They got to figure out all sorts of you know what's next and how's this going to be done. And it, it can be a process. Like we we just closed the deal today. To, it's closing tomorrow. And fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, but it's you know been under contract for almost 12 months, you know, because it's, you know, or at least from the time that we, we, we initially started marketing, it's probably been about 12 months. And, you know, this guy's not necessarily mom and pop, but it's, it's a grueling process sometimes when, when, you know, this was an assumption on a loan that jammed up the, the process. Um, and it took a few tries to get it under contract and it's, you know, it can be very frustrating. And as, as the broker kind of, you know, the, the guy that's there, you know, assisting along, we can, you know, often tell that our clients are getting frustrated and, you know, we understand that it's, you know, not always a smooth process, but when you get up to the true, you know, institutional type of thing, it's just a matter of, you know, it is what it is, you know, it's, a, it's like, it's a very non-emotional process. It's a hurry up and wait type of process. The mom and pops, it's a very slow even once under contract can be a very slow process and everybody gets very frustrated and points the finger at somebody else, often the broker. And, you know, we have to, we have to navigate a lot of, you know, um, expectations uh, and reset expectations pretty consistently, um, which is true for both, but definitely more so on the emotional side with the, with the, the, the genuine mom and pop because they got a lot tied into it. They know how much time they spent in that park. They know how much money they put in that park. They know what this park could potentially be doing, even if they're not doing it themselves. And, you know, they, they know it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that they're just attached to. You know, I know I was, cause I, I know I refused to take offers on my park for years because I thought it was worth much more than what I, what the market was willing to pay. You know, it took, it took a while of getting those expectations set before I was able to, you know, meet the market on my deal and, and get a decent number that got me out, um, even though it wasn't the number I was looking for. Um, and when you're thinking about it as as a mom and pop who's retiring, and maybe it's not a huge park, maybe it's only, you know, a, a 50 space park or something, and maybe it's only worth, you know, a, a million dollars or something, it, you might feel like, you know, it should be worth a lot more. I put all this extra time into it, you know, and all this extra stuff and look at all the meat on the bone that's left out there to get. But sometimes the market speaks and it is what it is. And that can be a very daunting decision to make when you're thinking that you're going to get a substantially higher number, especially before you, you talk to a broker or an appraiser and, and got a number from, you know, from somebody. Because oftentimes these mom and pops, I'm, I'm often the, the first number they're hearing, you know, which could be, um, not the greatest thing, you know, it's, you know, I often would not prefer to be the first number that you're hearing because it's just easier for me to set expectations at that point, uh, especially on these smaller, you know, the under $2 million type of deals where it's everything this guy, you know, has it's, it's heart and soul is into this thing. And it's the number doesn't quite, you know, get you excited if it's the first time you're hearing it. But by the time you've heard it from five other people, 
then all of a sudden the numbers doesn't start, you know, you start, you know, getting a grip on what the market will pay. And he's just saying, well, geez, I've been looking for a bigger number for a year now and I'm not getting it and over and over again, I'm being told this other number, I guess maybe that's somewhere near what this park's probably worth. Whereas an institution, they, it, it's just not a, that emotional type of process with them. Most of these professional investors are like, nope, that number's too low. I'm just not a seller at that number. And it's not much to think about one way or the other, you know, or, the, or the, yeah, that number works. Let's get it done. Is <clears throat> at, you were, you were essentially, you were a mom and pop. What were your biggest challenges that you don't think institutional ones don't, they don't have to deal with as much? Yeah. Well, management and tenant screening and collections and repairs and, ta- and and city municipality, you know, stuff. All of it, I was not prepared for. All of it, <laughs> you know, all of it was really friggin' hard. And if I had a management company in there, which eventually I got, that made my life a lot easier with the tenant screening and the collections and you know some of those type of things. Um, doing it all myself meant I, I really had no time left for myself because I'm always chasing down, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks from somebody almost every day of the week. And trying to get these guys to pay all the rent on time was impossible. Trying to screen the guys, you know, especially back when I owned my part where it's like internet wasn't as you know accessible as it is today to run the credit reports and all that stuff. I remember I was out in the boonies, so it was just harder and to get another 50 bucks out of somebody for an application back then was just like squeezing blood out of a rock. You know, meanwhile, they're waving, you know, two grand cash in front of your face and you're just like, okay, I guess I'll take a chance with this psychopath. And, you know, a month later, they're trying to burn down your park, you know, and it's, you know, know, that was the management and the tenant stuff was the hardest part. Next hardest part was repairs because it was me doing all the repairs. Luckily, I mean, I, I, I just know how to do almost everything in a park. But I mean, I like doing it, you know, when it came time to uh, convert from septic to public sewer, of course, I couldn't afford to pay a contract and no banks were giving me loans. It was like 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. So I had to go rent tobacco and, and dig up, you know, 30 lines, 40 lines to go replace them with, you know, the city water and all that stuff. And most mom and pops, like they understand that, it, that this is where you're at, this is what falls on you. The institutions ever can have it. They got a budget. <laughs> They're gonna throw money at that thing, and you know it's gonna be done in thirty days. And you know it's prim and proper. Um, whereas you know me as a mom and pop, those those things were just terrible for me because you know I would literally be out there you know eight hours a day for you know months on this thing replacing all the water line, all the sewer lines, you know, and that's that took a big toll on me. The rehabs on the homes. You know, every time a tenant moved out, which it seemed like. Half of my tenants were permanent, like they're going to die in those trailers. But the other half seemed to cycle every three months, you know. And so every three months I'm having to repair these units that I just repaired three months ago. And like that was exhausting because I, you know, thought I couldn't afford to hire a maintenance team that was reliable. Quite frankly, half the people I did hire usually stole from me and would take the tools or take the materials and I'd never hear from them again. You know, so very challenging for me. An institution, private, you know, a professional investor is going to have a maintenance crew that they're going to be able to call on because they're using them at another park nearby or something. Whereas the mom and pops that are truly mom and pops doing it themselves, those, you know, those guys tend to, you know, have challenges with with all those things I just mentioned. Yeah, and along the way, as as a mom and pop, 
you're really even more concerned with adding value to your park and the decisions that you make. Whereas institutional, it's very numbers oriented. We'll add X, it will improve by X. Where it's like, you know, when you're mom and pop, you're connecting not only what you think is going to make the park better, but what your tenants want and what you personally want. And because your ego is attached to it. And I think that there's an interesting world that can be built for a toolkit of sorts for people who are mom and pop owners that, you know, Hey, here's, here's everything that you need to know. Each tool, each document, everything that you, that you need would be super helpful. Um, Does, does it, come to a point where the pressure or it gets to a, a an amount of parks where you're like, okay, it's time to get bought by an institution. Like, yeah, I mean, well, everybody what, wants to time their exit and anybody that's trying to scale is thinking about who's the, the next appropriate buyer when I get to a certain, you know, KPI, right. Whatever that is, number of lots and number of revenue number of whatever it might be. Right. Um, and so at least at least if you you know if you if you're buying parks with the idea of flipping them in the next you know one to ten years this is probably what you're thinking is like where's my exit at and what does it look like and how do i maximize that exit and so for every layer above until you get to the you know the creme de la creme you know it's like you're packaging up for the next guy because that next guy will take on the headaches that are left over and will pay you the price that you'll deem is good whereas the group above him probably won't pay you the price that you want because they're looking at all the headaches that are still left that in their mind need to be fixed. And in your mind, you fixed all the headaches, but then as the sophistication goes up, there's, you know, different layers of headaches that, that need to get cleared and different other KPIs that need to get met, you know? So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, 30 year old with, you know, a million bucks and you're trying to go start a, a life in MH and you're buying your first park and you're thinking by the time you're 40, you'll have, you know, 5,000 lots or whatever. And that's like your, your, your plan, which is, you know, very achievable. I mean, I'm watching guys do it, you know, but it is a plan that's being executed. It's not willy nilly style. It's, you know, we want to get, you know, we have these, these goals of 500 lots in the first year, thousand lots by the second year, 2000 and, and an acquisition plan to get there. And as you're building, as you're building up that scale, you're building out your teams as well. Because what happens to almost everybody is they hit a thousand lots and they realize they're working harder than ever, making zero money because all the money that was invested in these parks was probably other people's money that they're paying out on. Okay. Um, That now they're at a thousand lots and they can see the light of day and do they sell or do they continue to scale or do they refinance out their investors, you know, and start bringing it back in and, and can they, can they themselves, really handle this without the investors behind them, you know? And so it's, it's a process and a lot of guys get stuck at, you know, that 500 to thousand lots because it's so damn consuming, especially if you're buying value add stuff, which a lot of, you know, first time buyers just, you know, go for, for better or worse. So whereas like a, the mom and pop, that's not, that's not the exit thought that they're having. They're like, well, I got this one park. I'm going to use this thing. I have a 20 year mortgage on it. I'm going to pay off the mortgage over time. And, you know, this is going to be my my retirement thing, and I'm going to, you know, hire you know a manager, and I'm going to hire a repair man, but I'm still going to have a job, and they're going to realize that you know, like the cash flows are are very tough in the beginning, you know, and so 
you know, they'll probably say, well, I can cut this corner, I can cut this corner, or I can spend more time working on this project instead of this other project since now I'm kind of, you know, semi-retired or whatever. And it becomes a whole new, like, life for them, you know? So it's, um, at least that, at least that was my process. I mean, I was a straight up farmer before it. And then it's like, well, I'll buy this park and then baby stepped into it where I was being a park owner more than I was being a farmer by the end, you know? And, and, you know, of course that, you know, wasn't what I started off intending to. I really thought it was going to be like, Oh, okay. I got 30, 40 units here and they each make this much money. It only cost me this much when they're on. Great. I'll be making a nice supplemental, you know, 30, 40 grand a year or whatever off of it. For people yeah. who are just listening, if you saw his face that you, you would understand the amount of effort that goes in when you're doing it and you're doing the lift yourself. It's, it's a lot. And I think that that's, I think that's also what makes you work so well with those <clears throat> mom and pop sounds insulting sometimes small business park owners, right? Small business park owner. Yeah. yeah. You, you work, you work really well with them because you were one of them and you understand, especially on the exit side, you know, when they're coming to you, it's typically the end or a new beginning, right? Yeah. They're, you know, yeah. so I, I think that that well, at least it was for me, you know, like I, there was back when I was doing this, there was almost nobody out there that would give me, you know, the time of day, except the local realtor, who was, you know, half my age, you know, and I was, you know, I was still young as hell back then, you know, so <laughs> I eventually found some guy um, that had the one internet advertisement up for this back then, you know, and it was like, you know, I said, well, I'll call this guy. And he drove like five hours to come see me, gave me all this like fuzzy, warm, feel good stuff, you know, and told me like, you know, all these things I could do to improve it. Da, 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 da. And I was like, wow, this guy's really smart. But then he came back, you know, a day later by, by telephone to tell me what he thinks it was worth. And my, my mouth was on the floor. I was like, what a waste of time. It was like, you know, half of the value that I thought that the thing was actually worth, you know, and, you know, so be it. You know, I raised my rents and I did everything I could to make it better. Two years later, you know, I tried selling it again. Everybody told me the same number that guy was telling me, you know, when I finally sold it, I was over like 50 grand more than that guy was telling me, <laughs> you know, and it was wow. like, man, all that extra work for very little extra pay, and, you know, gave me, it, you know. That's an entrepreneur. It's that, you know, the, that hope of what if everything works out? Right. right. right? And, and the entrepreneur, even if you're a cynical entrepreneur, in your head, you have an optimistic spirit that says, what if everything works out? Yeah. And what, and that's usually followed by dollar signs in the back of yeah. your head that make you make decisions. Yeah, well, for me, it was like, well, I'm going to close this chapter. And like, if this is all it's worth, then I'm, I'm done with this chapter. I want to be, I don't want to be a farmer anymore. I don't want to be a park owner anymore. Uh, you know, and that's, so screw it. And I close my eyes. And I took the deal and it worked out to be one of the better deals. The owner financing note put so much extra money in my pocket because I financed the deal and it gave me the runway I needed to get back into brokerage. And holy shit, here we are. You know, so I was in, in 20, essentially 2014, 2013, uh, into 2013 is, is when I moved off the farm and 2014 is when I started figuring out brokering again. And then 2016 is when I said, well, I guess I'm broker mobile home parks now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I guess this is what yeah, I know. It's the best in the world. Crazy you know? how that is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, I started in Miami in 2001 
or so doing Section 8 housing, you know, affordable, low-income Section 8 housing in South Miami. And I thought that would had to have been the hardest it could possibly get, you know. Nope. It was a doozy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but was it the hardest? No, back then, I thought it was. Getting into a park, yeah, that'll learn you. that'll learn you. And if you want to learn about the mobile home park industry, you can read Glenn's book, the mobile home park manifesto. It's available on his website. Now you can get a digital copy, only a digital copy now, right, Glenn? Yeah. Digital copy copy on the website and you can buy the printed copy on Amazon. And you can also get Glenn's masterclass, which is a great deal, a great value. Go to his website and get that. You'll learn everything that you need to kind of kickstart your mobile home park career is what I would say, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a slightly more than introductory course to MH. And we give you tons of downloads, tons of due diligence information, underwriting models, a copy of the book, and you know all sorts of other little, little add-ons. Go to the MHPexpert.com. You can email Glenn at G Esterson at the mhpexpert.com. And you can always reach them at 720MHP4. Wait, no, wait. Damn. I missed Dre. I had it. 720MHP4U? Yep. Oh, man. It rolled off my tongue so easily. I thought I was wrong. 720MHP, the number four, YOU. That is how you can get a hold of the Esterson uh, team. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, We will see you next time. Thanks, Glenn.